Ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wade Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! This is the Shoeless Goat Podcast. Brent Brown drops the ball! He drops the ball! Three runs will score! You gotta be paping me! What in the hell are you doing? Hello and welcome back to the Shoeless Goat Podcast. We're a Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm joined for the first time in Season 2 by the Mayor of Section 509, Mr. Victory Modelo, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Nick. Uh, Even though the ominous start to the baseball season is currently in full effect and the high from the 1954 White Sox victory in the Crosstown Centurion is now begun to fade about, what, what is it now, seven weeks later, so... Unfortunately, that could only last me so long. First question, and it kind of leads into the second. Did you think we'd get to two seasons? And to follow up, do you think the MLB will finish their season? Uh, for the purposes of our organization, I'm going to say yes to the first question. I'm a company man. Second question, no. Uh, my gut's telling me no. Um, and it has nothing to do with the White Sox getting blown off the face of the earth by the Twins in two of three games. And... All to do with the fact that there is still a pandemic going on. Uh, never a good thing to have happening when you're trying to complete a sports ball season. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that afterwards. We're going to start the show out like we always do, though, with a weekly recap. It'll be a shortened version of the weekly recap, as the opening series was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Cubs and White Sox played three games apiece. Pat, you kind of mentioned the uh, the massacre at the hands of the, the Twin Cities. So I'm going to let you go first and get that off your chest. Yeah, so it was, it was a rough start to the season for the White Sox. Uh, game one, be, the first game of the 2020 season, the first game of the new era of White Sox baseball, or so we were led to believe, got off in the most White Sox way possible with Max Kepler homering off of, uh, going into the year, staff ace Lucas Giolito on the first pitch of the baseball game. Never a good start to give up a home run on your first pitch of the season, but I guess when you're playing a team that hit over 300 last year, it's due to happen. Um, after that game really did not go too much better for the White Sox. They were lead, the Twins were up 4-0 after one inning. Sox started to fight back a little bit with an RBI from Abreu in the first. Then Max Kepler lengthened the lead again. Uh, they actually came back then in the second inning, Eloy scoring on a wild pitch after him and Robert led off with absolute missile base hits. And then Moncada, fresh off his own uh, COVID-19 layoff, uh, hit a three-run homer to tie it. Unfortunately, then it was all twins scoring five unanswered to win in 10-5. to Saturday is the one uh, little bit of happiness I got this weekend, so I will certainly cherish that um, as the highlight of the 2020 season as it stands. Uh, the tables quickly turned with a big offensive day for the White Sox. Yoan Moncada got it started with an RBI double in the third, and then in the fifth they got three home runs from Lurie Garcia, who had uh, was really getting a lot of heat from the fan base after his horrific defense Friday night. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion, who hit his first home run as a member of the White Sox, and Eloy Jimenez uh, score was then 5 nothing. Nelson Cruz made it a little bit interesting with a three-run missile off of Steve Ciszek, but the White Sox then pulled away. James McCann uh, adding to the lead with a home run and an RBI single, and Lurie hitting a home run from the other side of the plate uh, to give the Sox a 10-3 win. The highlight on the mound was Dallas Keuchel, five and a third. Not really sure why he got taken out that early, but uh, 
three hits, two earned runs, both of which came on C-Sheck's home run allowed to Nelson Cruz. One strikeout, no walks, and eight groundouts. So can't ask for much more out of that. Uh, he's looking like he's going to earn every bit of that contract through one start, and I am going to take the small sample size on uh, Dallas Keuchel as a positive. Sunday, I don't really want to talk about, but here we are. The game got ugly early. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez lasted two-thirds of an inning, giving up three hits, four earned, two walks, and a home run. His fastball was sitting about six miles an hour below his normal uh, 97-ish. Uh, so he got he came out with an injury. Gio Gonzalez came in. His first uh, appearance for the White Sox after being drafted by the team 16 years ago Got a strikeout on his first pitch, and then it all unraveled from there as he gave up six earned in three and two-thirds. It was 9 nothing through two. I was done then. I stopped watching. Eloy left the game with a head injury, so it was just bad. Uh, Kelvin Herrera later in the game got in on the party, giving up four earned runs of his own. When it was all said and done, Nelson Cruz was four for five with two homers, seven RBIs. Uh, and this was actually a crazy fact. Since 2019, Nelson Cruz has 11 home runs against the White Sox. He has been a twin for a year in three games, and he has 11 home runs against us. Um, but, hey, on the positive, Anna Mangle had three hits, and Luis Robert hit his first career homer. So uh, it was not all negative in a 12-run loss. Yeah, so a few things from that one and two start. The rotation was a question mark and remains one, and I think you could agree with that. Yeah. Um, a lot of things needed to go right for for this team to be like championship ready. I think they're still bubble playoff ready, but I think the rotation is the question mark. And every Sox fan I talked to in the offseason was like, well, if we can get Giolito to repeat his success and Lopez to get his head out of his ass and Rodon to come back and, and this and this and this, I go, guys, that's a lot of things that need to happen. Bright side, the offense looks awesome. So what that what's going to happen? You, you're going to have a lot of... Uh, White Sox putting up a lot of runs, but the the pitching needs to like not give up six or seven. You know what I'm saying? So there's going to be a lot of like eleven to nine and like six to five games. I feel like. Yeah, and I mean I think that's a good point because the offense will keep them in most games. Obviously, if the pitching staff's going to give up fourteen, not many offenses can keep you in that one. Uh, but like we saw in game one, they fell behind 5-1, to one and they ended up tying it. Uh, it fell apart from there. But the offense is exciting. We haven't had, like, a microwave offense like that on the south side in a while where it seemingly, you know, in years past it was, okay, you get past Moncada, you get past Abreu, and then it's, I don't know, like, freaking Wellington Castillo and Nicky Delmonico, who I shouldn't have said that because he's still there. Uh, now there's a good six, seven guys who are actual major league hitters, and it's pretty cool to see that we can actually, you know, hit with major league teams. Um, haven't had that for a while, but yeah, like you said, pitching staff, uh, big question mark. Giolito, it's going to come down to is he what he was at the beginning of last year or is he what he was near the end of the year? Um, obviously, Dylan Cease, as filthy as the stuff is, hasn't done anything over a full season body of work, and Reynaldo Lopez is easily the most uh, frustrating pitcher on the staff, saying how last year there were multiple times when Ricky had to you know remind him that he was pitching. That was like a direct quote, which is never good for a starting pitcher. And for all the people saying to move into the bullpen, I don't want a bullpen guy who can't focus. So, yeah, it's it's really going to come down to can the pitching staff just kind of keep them in the game. So kind of reminds you of those old Bears defenses where it's like, can the offense just not uh, mess up too badly? It's more exciting than the inverse in yep. which oh, yeah. your starting pitching is dominant and your bats just can't happen, right? Like, it's, it, it's more exciting baseball, 
but it's still frustrating. Yep, the White Sox version of Jose Quintana. Pretty much, yeah. Um, now I'm going to continue. Uh, Mankata did not play on Sunday with the 14-2 loss, and I'm just going to rip off Steve Stone. He was on the radio this morning. Fans were complaining that he wasn't in the lineup, but even if he was, they lose what 14 to four instead of 14 to two. Like it yeah. doesn't matter if he's in. So, I mean, even if he was to start that game, if you pulled him in the second inning, I don't think that's a bad idea. A guy who's just coming off of COVID, like pick your spots to use no, him. I wasn't upset about that because you know Ricky was up front. He said he's going to get rest, and yeah, it's three games into the season. But I mean, it's I I'm not that upset. The thing I'm more upset about is the fact that their roster is in such a place that when Yoan Moncada is out, they have Nicky Delmonico hitting second. Like, that's a bigger problem than Yoan Moncada getting a day off uh, after coming back from COVID and only having a week to ramp up for a full season. So, I don't know. There were things about the lineup I'll complain about, but giving our best player a day off before a slog of a season, I'll, I'll take it. All right. I think uh, that pretty much covers it. I want to get back to the Twins in a minute, but I, I do want to talk about the uh, – Cubs three games uh, pretty good com- considering every win counts as 2.7 so they went two and one um, they're currently leading six nothing right now as we're recording we'll have the result of that game obviously by the time uh, this is released so hopefully they can hold on to that lead and make it three and one but in any case Friday was the opening day Kyle Hendricks gets the decision to be the opening day starter over you Darvish and the first decision David Ross has to make he does it masterfully Hendricks goes nine innings gives up three hits no runs and nine K's in a three nothing win happen Rizzo hitting home runs to uh, give the Cubs those three runs. I've seen Hendricks more dominant maybe once or twice in his career, but this is on an extended offseason. Not a single pitch went over 89 miles per hour, and his uh, his movement on his changeup was absolutely unreal. So he is the ace of the staff. Um, there was an argument to be made to have Darvish start opening day because I think he has mentally more to gain by earning that honor. I think he... Um, takes more stock in things such as that where Hendricks doesn't particularly care. But at the same time, it's opening day. There's really nothing more disheartening than after the offseason losing the first game, which um, especially when the offseason is extended like it was. So start off 1-0 pretty good. Um, Saturday, different story. But Darvish wasn't too bad. Darvish gets the start. Uh, goes four innings. The pitch count, got a, pitch count got a little bit high. Gave up six hits, three earned, and five, K, uh, five Ks. Bullpen fell apart. The offense didn't do itself any favors. I think uh, the early, I think it was five or six nothing deficit after like three innings is what really, um, really sunk the team mentally. And it's going to be one of those seasons where if you're down early, it's tougher than any other season because um, starters are on a shorter leash, I feel like. Um, but in any case, one and one. Uh, finally, Sunday, rubber match. Tyler Chatwood gets the uh, third start as opposed to John Lester, who you would think, based on past performance, would be the third starter, but David Ross goes another way, and to his credit, it works again. I'm not making this guy a genius, but you got to give credit where credit's due. Chatwood goes six innings, uh, gives up only one earned, three hits, eight Ks, and two walks. Uh, Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer were saying it's Chatwood's best start as a Cub. I disagree. I think he had like an eight or nine inning shutout a couple years ago that everyone think uh, forgets about, but at the same time, I will take this out of Tyler Chatwood. It's what we were expecting to get when we signed into the three-year deal. Um, the bats came alive, though, uh, to give the Cubs a 9-1 to victory. Uh, most of it coming from the bottom of the order, the, the Triple H, as I decided to call them, with Hayward, Happ, and Horner. 
Uh, Caratini also getting a couple hits uh, to get an RBI. And late bombs by Wilson Contreras and Anthony Rizzo over former teammate Justin Grimm in the eighth. Salt on the wound. Chris Bryant really did not get going, though. His entire season had one hit, but uh, great news. Christian Yelich also only got one hit, and he talks a lot more smack than Chris Bryant does, so it's very nice to see him struggle. He's going to heat up. I'm just glad it wasn't against uh, the Cubs to start the season. So 2-1, and one, couldn't ask for a better uh, start. Obviously, you'd, you'd get three wins. That's the best he could be, but they're really showing up right now, scoring six runs in the first two innings to take a 6 nothing lead, so let's hope, again, that they can turn it into 3-1, but I'm happy with how the Cubs did to start. I've got a few thoughts, but yeah. Yeah, you can't really ask for too much more than that to start a uh, series. Kind of a mirror, not a mirror, but, you know, uh, compared to last year when they got blown out by Milwaukee, I think that was, what, the second series of the year, and everybody was already freaking out saying the season was over. So this is a much better way to start it, especially getting that type of outing from Hendricks. And I will credit the White Sox offense with letting him get the kinks out of his system, uh, that, that exhibition start. So you're welcome for that. Yeah, uh, they started two and seven last year. Uh, dropped two against the Rangers to open up the season, and then I think lost like four or five straight after that. So yeah, uh, everyone's everyone was worried about how they'd start. Uh, I mean, and John Lester looks pretty good right now. Um, he's accepted the role as the fourth starter. Not that it really matters, but some guys are just super competitive and don't like to see them their name on the fourth uh, fourth slot. Um, Quintana out. Uh, with uh, with a tragic dishes, dishwashing accident, so he'll I be out for you. a little bit. Yeah, they'll catch you. Um, so Alec Mills will be the fifth starter. It'll be interesting to see how he goes up against the seemingly high-powered Reds offense, so they say. Anyway, it's, it's hard to tell. But in any case, I will take that from the Cubs. Um, moving on, this is a spur of the thought. This was not planned, but... Um, before we get into what's going on with the Marlins, um, I just want to... It's it's our first uh, episode of the season. We didn't do a predictions episode because, honestly, neither of us think that the season is going to finish anyway. But um, regardless, I think lightning round quick predictions now. Give me your AL and NL champion and your World Series winner. Okay, so NL, I'm, I'm going with chalk. I'm going with the Dodgers. I just think the Dodgers are built in a way that even if a couple of their guys get COVID or an injury, they have so many reinforcements behind them that aren't Obviously, they lose Mookie Betts. They don't have another Mookie Betts waiting in the wings. But they have a guy that's an adequate major league player behind him, which not many teams can say. Um, even though the West is a little bit of a tough schedule, having to play 20 of their games against the Astros, A's, Angels, and then, well, the Rangers and the Mariners, whatever. I just I can't pick against the Dodgers in the NL. In the AL, as a White Sox fan, I have to go with the Twins. I mean, I that often scared me. Um, I I just, I don't see, I, they're so far ahead of the White Sox, it's hard for me to, you know, get anything else out of my head. Um, the Astros were another a team up there, but if Verlander is actually out for a good chunk of the season, that really hurts them, especially with no Cole this year. So I think it's really the Twins out in front of the AL, and having that easy schedule in the AL Central compared to playing in the East or the West is going to help them out a lot. So I'll go Twins-Dodgers, uh, even though the Twins can't win in the playoffs. Um, and again, Chalk, I'm going to go with the Dodgers to win the World Series. As much as it pains me to say it, the Twins always find a way to lose in October. Uh, they might get past the Yankees this year, but I don't think they're going to win a World Series. Okay, we have somewhat of a similar mindset. I'll start with the American League, and I'm also picking the Twins for similar reasons, but also different. The Twins are the perfect team 
for a 60-game season, and here's why. They're going to do exactly what they did to the White Sox to some of the other teams in the division, and that is put up a ton of runs in the early innings, force the starter out of the game, and force them to dig into their bullpens early in the game, in the early games of the series. Then, in the later games of the series, they will have a fresher bullpen than the team they're facing again, uh, going up against, and they'll still continue to put up big runs. So I just think they're going to keep running starters out of the game. These starters already have short leashes. The bullpens are expanded with the expanded rosters, so managers are more likely to go to the bullpens. But at the same time, if you keep burning six or seven bullpen guys every single game, it's going to catch up to you. So if the Twins keep doing that, I don't see any team, maybe the Yankees beating them. Uh, the Yankees probably do have the best bullpen in all of baseball. So um, if the if the Twins uh, rough up Yankee starters. It's not the end of the world, but in any case, I'm going with the Twins. I have them playing and beating the Braves in the World Series. The Braves have just a lot of star power, um, and their young starting pitching is really starting to show that it's... I won't, I won't go elite yet, but good enough or great enough, I should say. Um, you know, and you have Acuna and Albies and, um, you know, just a bunch of studs on that team. So... Um, and also former uh, former Brave Donaldson now playing for the Twins adds a huge bat for the Twins too. So I think that's your edge. Um, twins winning the World Series, even though we know they can't play in October. But that's where my head's at with that. Yeah, makes sense. I think the Twins too, the fact that they don't have to go through the gauntlet of the East or the West, or really whoever comes out of the AL Central, but we both think it'll be the Twins, their pitching staff isn't going to be as taxed as it would be going against some of those higher power lineups. And with a team that pitching is their biggest question mark, that bodes really well. So, yeah, definitely no no argument there. Okay, uh, before we move on to MLB news, who is your White Sox player of the week, even though the sample size is only three games? Yeah, so there were a couple. This was actually a somewhat tough decision. Uh, there were a couple guys I could have named here. Obviously, Dallas Keuchel comes to mind. Larry Garcia with his two-homer game on Saturday. Even Adam Angle coming up with three hits on Sunday. But for me, it's got to be Luis Robert. For me, the biggest key to the White Sox season is how well he can adjust to major league pitching. We all know he's, in all likelihood, going to be a very good player long term. He plays a hell of a center field already. But how he was going to fare against major league pitching day after day when they are just finding new ways to try to get him out and not just throwing you know 98-mile-an-hour fastballs at him was going to be something to watch. He answered that question pretty well, again, only through three games, but he was went four for 11 with a home run, two RBIs, even a walk, which is something he didn't do too often in AAA. And on his four hits, the exit velocities were 115.8, 103.5, 102.4, 111.4, and then he had a 109-mile-an-hour ground out. So he's murdering the baseball. He's running around center field like he's a 10-year veteran. He's taking charge of the outfield out there. Um it's really everything I would have wanted to see from Luis Robert to open up his career. So for me, he's the player of the week. He's answered the bell so far, and I'm hoping that continues the rest of the way. Yeah, and I feel like that's not the, the last time we're going to hear that name. Hopefully um, not. He's an absolute freak in nature when you look at him. He has Solaire body, and I think that's a good, at least physical comp. Oh, it's insane. I, I, like The first time I saw him in a White Sox uniform, I'm like, I didn't realize how big this guy is. His neck is like the size of my thigh. <laughs> like It's like Tim Chancellor back in the day. Yeah, seriously. Or DK Metcalf now, right? <laughs> just unbelievable. Um, okay, I wanted to be cheeky and give my Cubs player of the week to Tyler Chatwood because he exceeded uh, expectations, but I can't do it. Uh, Kyle Hendricks has to be the Cubs player of the week. Opening day start, 
Uh, nine innings pitch, complete game shutout, 102 pitches, very close to getting the Maddox complete game uh, statistic, which is a complete game, no earned runs in under 100 pitches. He only gave up three hits. He didn't walk anybody. I think that's even, um, I mean, he doesn't walk anybody anyway, but that's still a really good thing to have uh, in a start, let alone a complete game. Um, although Hendricks' expectations were high, he still exceeded them, so we're just going to uh, hand it over to him and not be clever about it. But, uh, you know. You got to give it to the professor. He was, he was making Brewers, making Brewers hitting look foolish, and it was to the point where they just were rolling their eyes because they didn't know what to do. I will give uh, you know further back to Chatwood though. He did strike out Yelich three times in his three at bats, and I think ten pitches. So um, his stuff is nasty, which is why I wrote an article about why the Cubs should extend him, and you should totally check that out. Despite how um, reactionary it makes me look, I've been thinking this for quite a bit now. <laughs> Trust me, as someone with a plenty of reactionary takes on my own, uh, I understand. But a question for you. Does Kyle Hendricks' complete game count as 2.7 complete games? I don't see why not, right? <laughs> and after the after the opening day game, Len Casper actually did say the Cubs are now 2.7-0. and 0. So if you're going to give them 2.7 wins in the, you know, in the proverbial uh, standings, then you have to give... Um, the multiplier to the starting pitcher. And I think, honestly, when when these pitchers from this year reach the open market, they might actually use that multiplier when it comes to the number of wins they would have gotten. Oh, dude, arbitration is such bullshit. With all that, they're definitely going to use it. Like, it's all about counting stats. So I feel like every single player's rep is going to have, like, just uh, translation charts for the front office. They're like, yep, this is this is what this means. So I I think it would be insane. The way Kyle pitched, I'm like, oh, he's going to win 10 of his 12 starts, and he'll have 10 wins. But that's probably not going to happen. But if DeGrom wins the Cy Young again, and he probably will only get like six or seven wins, that'll be the third year in a row he's won the Cy Young without hitting 10 wins, which I think is insane. That'd be Yeah, that'd be crazy. I, I kind mean, of want the, it to happen, honestly. The way the Mets just got ran out of the park last night on national TV makes you think he's in for another long year. You know what, though? Opening day, there was nothing greater about opening day than Cespedes hitting the one nothing home oh, yeah. run win. That was incredible. I loved it. I love him. He hadn't played baseball in like two years, and he absolutely tanked one. Dude, he screams of a guy that's going to go to the White Sox in a year or two. I would buy the jersey. I'll say I probably right would now. too, honestly. Like, anyway. Um, so let's go to further kind of crappier um, full MLB news. We've kind of hinted at this. The Marlins... Uh, had to shut down their home opener and probably won't play for a little bit until some of this testing comes back. Uh, Twelve of their players and two of their coaching staff uh, tested positive for COVID-19, um, and it really doesn't bode well for the rest of the league. Obviously, Florida being the hotbed of uh, of cases, so you let all these players wander around Miami, what do you think is going to happen, I guess? Um, but uh, you brought up a little bit more news to me before the podcast of why this is a lot worse of a deal than it is, so I'd love you to share that for me right now. Yeah, so I was just reading earlier today on The Athletic uh, an article by Jason Stark and Ken Rosenthal about why the Marlins played. Um, the quote that just really rubbed me, and I know I saw a lot of other people on the Twitter machine the wrong way, is that Don Mattingly said that basically the team never really considered not playing and that it was really a player-driven decision to play. So they knew four players had tested positive as of Sunday, they had three, I believe, that day, and they had one on Friday. And the manager basically put it to a player vote whether or not they were going to play. Because, I mean, it's just, it's insane. The the thing the things we're dealing with here, I mean, as fun as it was to have baseball back, it kind of 
reminds you of the leadership that we've seen in a lot of places where it's like this guy's just ducking responsibility, sending it to the players. Like, yeah, we all want to play baseball, but we're in a period of time where the Blue Jays can't play in Canada because the Canadian government kicked them out. They don't want them going back and forth. They didn't even find a home until two days ago. In the city of Chicago, you go to 18 different states, you got to stay in your house for 14 days after it. And now we have the Marlins managers just kind of letting players who are paid to play decide whether or not they're going to play. Like, I mean, it's idiocy. Professional baseball players making decisions about what to do in a pandemic is like when the lights went out in the Super Bowl and former NFL players were trying to explain electricity. It's just oh, yeah. not It's not working. It, it's crazy. And Don Mattingly, he is trying his damnedest to beat out Mike Matheny as the dumbest manager in the last decade of baseball, honestly. I mean, there's just it's a, there's a time when the manager just needs to take responsibility as a leader, and he clearly is not capable of doing that. I mean, not that the Marlins were going to do anything this year, but it's I, like you said, like players are going to want to play. Like eventually, you got to put your foot down and say, "Hey, maybe this is bad for the sport." I mean, it's just it's it's crazy that we're still talking about. It's like the White Sox had Ricky Renteria with symptoms, and luckily he tested negative supposedly tonight. Um, but he was pulled; he wasn't going to be at the game tonight. Luckily, Mother Nature intervened, and we didn't have to cross that bridge. Um, but it just reminds you kind of like of how r- much this sport is walking on a tightrope of playing this full season, not in a bubble. Not sure how that would have been feasible, but it's just one little decision like that by Don Mattingly to just kind of let the players do call the show could potentially throw off the entire season, at least for yeah, his if, team. What are they going to do, call up four, 14 guys from the taxi squad to drive down to Miami? They've already signed a couple players, I think at least one if not two players um, off the waiver wire. I know Scooter Jeanette's looking for a home, so I wouldn't mind. But imagine getting signed, finally. You're a, you're a fringe MLB player, and it's the Miami Marlins who have literally like a firing squad of you know illness waiting for you in the clubhouse. I just I can't even imagine oh, that decision. you got to be de- – I mean, you got to love the game. To, oh, yeah. To, that is for sure. To, to sign with them right now. But uh, it's just not good. And you know what? If it wasn't the Marlins doing this, it was going to be somebody else. Yeah. But the Marlins are like the perfect team for this scenario because they're not they're not a competitive team but it doesn't i mean we can literally call them spoilers if this season is over by them because they ruined it for everybody else just like a spoiler at the end of the season would and they're in first in the nl east so you know i guess the banner will go up down at uh, marlins park next season right or whatever sun trust or whatever sponsor who knows, <laughs> who, who knows these days the statue's gone it doesn't matter Land Shark Stadium, or I don't know. <laughs> it was Land Shark for a while, I think. I can't even remember. Um, but in any case, that's enough COVID talk, obviously. Um, I think it's time to lighten the mood with our favorite segment that is finally back because Season 2 is here, the LinkedIn Player Profile. For those of you that don't remember, LinkedIn Player Profile is when we go over the life, and cur- the current life, I should say, of a former Cub and a former White Stock and see what they're doing now using mostly LinkedIn as our primary source, which is always a, an interesting way to look at someone's career. So, Pat, I'm going to uh, give you the honors of going first to start off the season. Who is the White Sox LinkedIn Profile Player of the Week? So, in honor of the rebuild, supposedly dying, even though, you know, first series was a little bit dicey there, I'm going with the first major free agent signing of the Rick Hahn era, coming to the south side back in December of 2012, the last winning season we had, well, on the heels of the last winning season we had, Jeff Kepinger. So, a little bit about uh, old Jeff. Originally from Miami, he played uh, college for Georgia, just like another failed White Sox third baseman in Gordon Beckham, where he hit 380 
which included a home run off Mark Pryor in the 2001 College World Series. So clearly he was destined for greatness. Drafted by the Pirates in the 2001 draft, he made his way around the league before he got to Chicago, going to the Mets in 04, the Royals in 06, traded to the Reds in 07, traded to the Astros in 09, traded to the Giants in 2011, went to Tampa in 2012 where he hit 325, posting his only career season with more than two uh, Fangraphs war, where he caught the eye of one Rick Hahn and went to the White Sox. Um, I know we're supposed to be focusing on their current life, but I have to just read a clip from this article I found about when he signed with the White Sox. So this is the end of the article on Fangraphs. Um, The White Sox are paying Kepinger to be worth less than a win a season for three seasons. He's got more walks than strikeouts for his career, and he doesn't swing and miss. If something comes along better, Kepinger can be moved out of the way, and so on and so forth. Right now, the third base market sucks. The White Sox got themselves a half-decent third baseman who is extremely unusually good at one thing. It's fine. The White Sox signing Jeff Kepinger is fine. He'll be fine, probably, and now it's on to the next transaction for all of us. Unfortunately for the White Sox, he was not fine and was incredibly bad that one season, posting a negative 1.7 war, which is 3.7 wins below an average player, so that's never good. He hit 253 on the heels of a 325 season and only walked 4% of the time with four home runs, so, you know, that's never really going to go too well for you. And his time on the south side ended in May of 2014, wherein he was DFA'd and never seen or heard from again. And I say he was never seen or heard from again because finding anything on this guy post-retirement was extremely difficult. On LinkedIn, there is a profile. There's no picture. It said he is retired at retired, most happily, mostly happily. So that is all it says. It just says he's retired at the company retired, but he's mostly happy. So that's, I guess, mostly good. Um, I couldn't find any articles talking about him retiring, what he's doing now. Nothing. The only thing I could find was apparently he got into a little bit of hot water with a racist tweet in 2016, claimed he was hacked, and then deleted his Twitter. So uh, much like I'm hoping happens with the White Sox rebuild this year, Jeff Kepinger showed up on the south side and then just disappeared, never to be heard from again, um, I guess, until we mentioned him on this show. So a very unnoteworthy career for uh, Mr. Kepinger on the south side. Jeff, if you are listening, we'd love to have you on the show so that you can explain your side of the story. Um, But for now, we're going to fill in the blanks as we see fit. Um, That's exactly what we're looking for in LinkedIn Player Profile. Obviously, a little bit more career-driven stuff, but at the same time, there's also a little bit of mystery, which I can dig. It's kind of some like a little Slender Man nonsense going on with him. You fill in the blanks in your own mind. No one really knows. (laughs) Um, So... I guess poetic license is the, is the term I was looking for. We can we can take with his career. Um, luckily for me, the Cubs LinkedIn player profile had a little bit more on his LinkedIn, and I'm pretty happy for the way his life has turned out. The night, let's see, Roosevelt Brown, which hell of a name, um, but Beautiful. if you Google Roosevelt Brown, uh, you have to put MLB afterwards, actually, because there was a Rosie Brown who played in the NFL who was pretty damn good. Uh, Roosevelt Brown played for the Cubs from 1999 to 2002 and never played uh, baseball in the MLB again, although he did play for the Oryx Blue Wave, I believe that to be a Japanese team, uh, from 2003 to 2004, so he gave it a go overseas. Um, Notably, uh, looking at his stats, he was a minus .8 war player uh, in his 442 at-bats. He had 111 hits, career batting average of .251, 11 home runs, uh, 69 RBI, three stolen bases, 
and an on-base percentage of 311. So respectable, just below replacement level player. Um, like I said, all of his career with the Cubs. He did try to make a comeback, though, after his time in Japan and made it all the way to your Charlotte Knights, White Sox, AAA affiliate in 2005, making him maybe two or three injuries away from being a World Series champion. What could have been? So you're telling me he's like the Speaker of the House? He's two heartbeats away from getting a ring in 05? You're absolutely right, and you'll love to see it. Um, So what happened after he retired and just missed out on that ring? Well, uh, we go to his LinkedIn. We'll start, as we always do, with the About section. Um, Also, I have two mutual connections with him, so I guess he does keep in contact Mm -hmm. with uh, current Cubs team, maybe a sneak his way into the front office. Uh, Experienced baseball professional with a demonstrated history of working in the construction industry. Skilled in coaching, athletic training, martial arts, and project management. Strong business development professional who is eager to continue to spread my wings. No picture, though, so that's not helping his cause. But in any case, what is he doing? Um, He has his player years uh, listed in uh, the Braves and Marlins, I guess that's where he was a minor before he came up, and Cubs organization. And then he became a hitting instructor for the Atlanta Braves with a pretty long um, explanation. Uh, I instructed all the hitters at dub- all the hitters at double-A level for the Atlanta all Braves. I had the, all of them. I had the pleasure to work with Matt Young, Jason Hayward, thanks a lot, J.C. Boskin, and Gorky Hernandez, just, a f- just to name a few. <laughs> each, player, each player has accumulated some major league service time. There are basic principles of hitting I have learned from my professional experiences. To help young hitters hit to help young to help young hitter understand those principles, I use articulate methods to help young hitter maintain consist results. Dude, this guy's a driveline type. Yeah, the easier things are made for the hitter to understand, the happier he she will be. The happier a hitter is, the more confidence a hitter has. Exclamation point. Confidence as a hitter translates to success. It is a known fact that confidence is a hitter's best friend. Exclamation point. Well, that confidence got him a job coaching the Mississippi Titans, which I have no idea what team that is, but maybe he'll explain to us. The team consisted of some most talented young baseball player that played in 18U division. They were all scouted by myself and some of the local area scouts in the Arkla Miss area. So I guess that's Ark. Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi. Didn't know you could put all of them together. Uh, There was a roster of 16 players, which are all currently attending college with purpose of enhancing baseball skills. Um, After the baseball coaching must have fizzled out after one year as the head coach of the Mississippi Titans, he was an advisor for Visual Edge, Visual Edge, um, which is Visual Assessment and Enhancement Company. I don't know if that's an eyeglasses store or a logistics company. Maybe both. Uh, He's currently the president and owner of Brown Custom Homes, LLC, uh, around the Vicksburg area. All it says is builder of new construction homes since 2006. So a confident guy with big visions doing his thing. That's all you could really ask for from a former Cub and LinkedIn player profile star. And I'm hoping to get a uh, connection request from him soon, just in case I need to work my way into the construction business. But that is the LinkedIn player profile week one segment for Roosevelt Brown. I think my favorite part about that, and not that it was the funniest or most ridiculous, but the fact that when he's naming off the players he coached in the Braves, he leaves off with Gorky's Hernandez and says, you know, to name a few. Right. That's the guy he picks to go, like, to name a few. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's an alpha move to go, oh, yeah, I coach these guys. But, like, 
Just the name Gorky's Hernandez is like, what the hell? Like, this is... I would have ended with Jason Hayward because, I mean, maybe not the best hitter. He got, got the most contract money out of it, you know? That's what it's all about, it, man. It's all about the money. Yeah, honestly. Um, but glad to have... Uh, that was just a quick random, what's Roosevelt Brown up to these days? Anyway, um, that concludes Season 2, Episode 1. Uh, Pat, how do you think we did? You know, there's a little bit of rust, uh, kind of like the White Sox pitching staff, but I think overall, not too bad. Uh, room for improvement, certainly, but in a 60-game sprint of a season for us, too, I think, you know, we got a little bit of time to ramp up here. Yeah, uh, I think it was a good one. Um, but, of course, we, we didn't do this during the Crosstown Centurion because it wasn't an official episode. It was more like a fun project for us. We do this at the end of every episode, and we're going to continue to do this. But uh, I'm going to ask Pat a question that he has not heard before, and he's going to have to answer on the spot. I'm not going to lie to you, Pat. This is... It might not be the funniest question I've come up with or the most difficult. It is the darkest. Ugh, I don't like that. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm warning you now. In any case, the question is, you can give non-symptomatic COVID-19 to one player in the MLB right now, and they live and don't spread it to anybody else. Who are you giving it to? Essentially saying this player has to take off for two and a half weeks during a 60-game season. Can I pick when in the 60-game season they have to take off? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, Nelson Cruz, the next time the White Sox play the Twins. Okay. No hesitation. That's an easy one. I mean, he's murdered us for the last year. Um, there's really nothing else to us. Hit three home runs in the first three games this year. Has hit 11 in the year in uh, change he's played in the AL Central. I'm tired of seeing him. I'm tired of seeing MLB tweet about him. I'm tired of getting killed. All I want is just for the White Sox to beat the Twins, and for that to happen, he's gone. So there we go. And he's, he's 40, so he yeah. might, you're, you're, what, luckily what, I had the caveat of it being non-systematic and that he'll live because, you know, once you hit 40, you're, you're more well, at risk. Yeah, I, I didn't think about that one. <laughs> That's okay. Um, my answer is, is very easy. It is, it is Christian Yelich. Um, the smack he was talking to you Darvish in the offseason, then you Darvish struck him out a bunch. He went over three against you Darvish, went one for 15 or one for 16. There's nothing better. Um, but... I feel like, much like the Green Bay Packers always seem to, I mean, at least now, two franchise quarterbacks in a row in uh, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, I feel like the Milwaukee Brewers will always have the torch passed of, like, one of the biggest assholes in the league. As Ryan Braun contemplates retirement but maybe sticks around a little bit longer with uh, the DH role now part of the National League, he'll probably be comforted to know that there is a extreme bag of douche waiting in the reins in Christian Yelich, and I'm... I'm um, I think that puts his mind at ease. Yeah, you know, it's always good to have somebody left behind you to uh, keep going where you left off. It's always, always comforting. Like Paul Canerco and Jose Abreu, just in the uh, not exactly in the, you know, classy, quiet star uh, type of way. Definitely. So that concludes our first episode of our second season. Thank you for listening. Pat, thank you for so much for uh, coming back on. Obviously, you're not just coming on, you're you're also a host here on every single episode so uh, I'm hopefully cross our fingers we have more and more episodes as this weird weird season continues no definitely agree you know happy to be back um, you know I, I'm happy to talk about baseball for however long we got it this year despite the grim dark reality that's raging on in the background for the whatever amount of time it is we get to talk about this I will gladly take it and will not take it for granted again after this so happy to be back Right. So you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much, and, and our website. Um, 
pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. If you get them from anywhere other than that, I kind of worry about you. But in any case, let us always remember that Yadi Molina is not a Hall of Famer. Go Cubs, go White Sox, go MLB, hopefully. Go baseball. Take care. Same old place, sweet home, Chicago.